0: Well, Paul is ending the book, which means we've got another three months of sermons. No, we really do just have a couple of weeks left. But he's giving some ending thoughts, ending notes, as he does. You know, one of Paul's later books, I'm quite certain, is the book of Hebrews. And there he's honest about what he really is trying to attempt And we see this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, sort of an intro verse, if you would. But in verse 23 to 25, it says, let us hold fast the confession. He's telling the the church there in Hebrews 10 to hang on, don't let go. For our, our hope without wavering, he who promised is faithful. Amen to that? Hold on to hope, guys. He who promised is faithful. He's going to never leave us nor forsake us. And then he says this in verse 24. Let us consider. Now the New King James has a nice word there. A lot of translations use the word provoke. But it literally is the word to irritate. To bring to contention with a sharp object. (laughs) Paul is saying here, I'm trying to poke you. And that poke with the needle He says, for what reasons? That I would stir up one another to love and good works. And then the one in particular that was on his mind believing the last days believers needed to hear it more than most, not forsaking ourselves with the assembly of ourselves together as a manner of some, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. So, however it comes, if it's an irritation or a Consideration, Paul in Colossians is trying to irritate us in the direction of being evangelists, evangelizing, witnessing. Here it is in verse 3 through 6 of Colossians 4. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door of the Word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I also am in chains. That I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. That's the word must. I, you know, you must be born again. I must speak. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Lest your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. <clears throat> I uh, was good friends with... Uh, man who was one of the top guys in the JW, the Jehovah Witness cult, really. But he had they had brought him from England. He was over most of England. They brought him over to be over all of Southern California. His name was Peter Barnes. And he said, I went in my time as Jehovah Witnesses to 30,000 homes. And out of 30,000 homes, and this took him decades... He said only five times somebody opened the door and said, thank you for sharing, but you're wrong. Here's a verse I want you to read. Five verses. And he said, they nagged me night and day. He eventually came to Christ when the Jehovah's Witness Watchtower magazine kept changing the interpretation of verses. One in particular where Thomas you know, says, I'll never believe in the Lord unless I touch him and see him. And then Jesus appears and and says, here, put your hand in my side, put your finger in my hand. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, blessed are you who see and believe, but more blessed is those who don't see and yet believe. Well, the Watchtower had a hard time with that because Jesus isn't God, Jehovah is. And Jesus is a man, uh, maybe an angel who eventually appeared to be a god but not god that we worship and they didn't know how to interpret that so he had been taught early in life that thomas was cussing my lord my god it's jesus and and that's the way he taught it for quite some long time it was interesting but then they came up with several other ways. And every time he kept teaching it differently, as the magazine told him. And finally, I don't remember what the interpretation was. And he just said, I, I've got to read the Bible. And that's what every, all the guys told him. Here's a verse. How, how do you reconcile this verse with your Jehovah Witness doctrine? Why don't you just read the New Testament for yourself? Which they were not encouraged to do. They were only encouraged to read the Watchtower magazine. So he finally just read it and got radically born again. But that really struck me, that out of decades, 30,000 homes in more than one continent, only five times somebody shared a verse with him, and he says, those five people led me to Christ. Even though the verse I heard was decades earlier, That is what led me to Christ. That's what the Bible says, right? The word goes out, never returns void. It'll always accomplish what it was sent out to do. And so we're going to discuss this today. And hopefully you you won't do like so many do and say, well, I'm not an evangelist. That's not my calling. I know, but I, I pastored several churches now and I have been doing this for over 40 years And I have probably had two people in all my life say, I do have the gift of an evangelist. And with that rate, um, how is anybody going to hear the Lord? Well, actually, we're all called to do the work of an evangelist. Paul tells Timothy, you don't need to be one, just do the work of one. So let's see what Paul is saying about this. In verse 3 and 4, Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us the door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for as I also am in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Last week, we looked at verse 2, where Paul talks about prayer, and he now concludes his teaching on prayer by saying, pray for me. And here's the prayer need I have, that even though I'm in prison, even though I'm in chains, I still have opportunities to share the Lord. And I, I need to do it each and every time, not missing one opportunity. Now, I would have thought Paul would say, pray for me, it's damp. Pray for me, there's rats. Pray for me, I got this rash. Pray for me, my back's killing me. Pray for me, I've got a headache. Pray for me, I'm not getting good food in here. I, I, Paul doesn't ask for prayers for any of those things which all, no doubt, he needed prayer for. The only thing he prayed for was that he would still be the Christian he ought to be, even being in prison, even though some would say, well, Paul, you've already did your fair share. You've started hundreds of churches. You preach the gospel all over the known world. You've done this for decades take a break and just see prison as a vacation. You don't need to witness anymore. Paul is saying, no, 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 no. My life of sharing Jesus doesn't end just because they lock me up and I'm in prison and I don't see that many people. No, I still need your prayers because all of us, including myself, should never stop sharing the Lord. And, and so Paul has no shame in saying, pray for me. And the reason he wanted was not personal needs, but praying that he would speak the word as he ought to do. Interesting, Paul asked several churches. I, I just put a few verses in there. There's more than double of these verses where Paul not just asked the Colossian church, but all the churches for the same thing. <clears throat> we just covered Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. Again, saying, pray for me that utterance may be given to me, that I might open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul is saying, sometimes I just want to speak up and, and say, Jesus loves you and, and God loves you and, and he died for your sins and he wants you to be forgiven and, 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 I, and I shy away. I don't do it. I don't open my mouth. I don't, And then when I do it, I didn't do it with conviction and boldness. I, I sort of did it in a half-hearted way. And, and please pray for me. In Romans 10.30, Now I beg you, brethren, that word beg is as strong as you think it is. <clears throat> I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the love of the Spirit, that you strive, this is the word we get our word agonized from, it's the Greek word agonizomai, together with me and prayers to God for me. I, I'm, I ask that you would agonize over this issue, praying for me. Philippians 1, 19 to 20, For I know that this, is the, this will turn out to my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always. So now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether through life or through death. He's in prison in Rome, going to stand before Nero. First Thessalonians five twenty three, Brethren, one of the shortest verses in the Bible, pray for us. In <laughs> 2 Thessalonians 3, 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly. I love that. And be glorified just as it is with you. Well, Paul asked all these churches. I didn't put all the verses in here. Actually, I did, but I got rid of them. But then at the very end of Acts, after he asked all these churches to pray for him, listen how the book of Acts ends. The last verse, Acts 28, 31. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house, received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching and the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to this last little bit. With all confidence and what? No one forbidding him or hindering him. So God radically answered the prayers that even in prison. And of course, we know that Paul's method of preaching the gospel in prison was letters, right? That's how we got most of our New Testament why he was there in prison. Bottom line is prayer works. So if we pray for each other, that we would all speak as we ought to speak, that we would all have boldness when those opportune moments come. Well, in verse 5, he then instructs the church, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. So it's interesting here that Paul in these verses isn't going to say everybody go down on the street corner and scream <laughs> and pass out tracks and, you know, get a bugle horn and say, turn or burn. Um, <clears throat> he actually realizes that most of our life is spent around the same people continuously, you know, you don't walk out the door of your house and you see one of the neighbors mowing the yard and run over and grab him a track, you know, hand them a track, run across the street and hand the little kid a track, say, give that to your mother. And every time you walk out the door, you go hand out a track. They'll just start ducking and covering, right? <laughs> They're going to have a community meeting and let you know to stop doing that. It's irritating. You're not going to do that at work. You walk into work, here's a track, here's a new track. I bought some new ones, Here, you know, You're just not going to do that. You're not going to go to the family reunion and start passing out tracts or bought you all a Bible. It would just be irritating. So, as we live in the world, most of our witnessing is with our lives, right? And this is what he is actually saying it's not a track, it's not a booklet, it's you. And he's going to give some real specifics on how this works. A life in the will of God, in living in the Spirit of God, filled with the Word of God, overflowing with the love of God. Lastly, most importantly, being filled with the Holy Spirit and power. As Ephesians 5.18 says, pray that you're filled with the Spirit. So witnessing is first something we are. Now, I love the fact that one of the first things Jesus did in calling his disciples, was telling them, the reason I'm calling you is so you can be a witness. Notice in Mark chapter 1, verse 17. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and what? I will make you become fishers of men. So that tells me that none of us really are natural evangelists, and I know some evangelists. Chuck's back there. He goes evangelizing several times a week and, and Ray and some others. And, and I, I know every time it's not some natural process of them to do it. Every time it's stepping out of comfort into a very uncomfortable situation because we've been ordered by the Lord to step into people's private world. And their first thing is saying, you have no business being in my private world. What I think about God is my business. Whether I'm a sinner or not is my business. And we step into that private world, we turn the light on, and they're saying, shut that off. I don't want you to see what's going on in there. But yet, if you would, we got a warrant from God <laughs> to, to, if they don't open the door, to the Go through the door anyway. And so Paul, here's our Jesus is saying, You're going to follow me, and then I, over a process of time, am going to make you, and I like this, fishers of men. They were all fishermen for the most part. Not all of them, but most of them. And he goes, Now you're not going to be fishing for fish, but for men. And uh, so Jesus made it clear to these guys right from the first. Um, they're going to do this. And of course, when he leaves, he says, don't go witnessing until after the power of the Spirit comes upon you. Remember that? In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, for you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come, what? Upon you, and you shall be witnesses. Notice it doesn't say, and then you shall go out witnessing. He didn't say that, does he? He says, you will become a witness. It's something you are in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. So we just studied this in Ephesians 5.18, where Ephesians, where he says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit of God. We need that. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do, do we understand this? as we're full of the word, as we're full of the love of God, as we're walking in the spirit, we wake up each morning and the Lord says, all of those who come to me and follow me, I've predestined their life after being born again. And one of the things I've predestined beforehand in your life is for you to be a witness to that person, that situation it may be just planting one little seed or it may be leading that person and harvest unto salvation but either way you need to wake up every morning and say lord i'm yours today <laughs> i'm following you and i ask that you would make me fishers of men and maybe that's a smile maybe that's a bible verse you know i one thing I have started doing a while back is when we go out to eat is to ask the waitress, hey, in a minute we're going to pray for our food. Is there something we can pray for you? And I'll tell you what, I mean, one time I had somebody saying, nah, I'm doing pretty good, no thanks. But I've had many times waitresses crying, literally going, just, they, they, can't, they can't hold back. I got this going on, I got this going on, I got that going on, I need help. And just to say, we are going to pray for you, and then them repeatedly thank us. I mean, again, I I just sense that this is an opportunity. I I don't live in the world, I'm not working in the world, I'm a pastor. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to a gas pump, and just turned around to the person standing there, waiting for a few minutes, and just say, can I share a verse with you today that God spoke to me this morning? I don't think it's just for me. I think it's for you as well. Or just sometimes to say to somebody, have you thought today God loves you? And you know how he mostly loved you more than anything? He sent his only son because he wants you forgiven of your sins. He wants you as white as snow in his sight and he wants you in heaven. Oh, I got to go. See you later. Take off. Which just plant seeds, man. Sometimes it's a smile. Sometimes it's a hug. And so, again here, God says that you should walk in it, not that you're going to walk in it. You'd be amazed how natural it becomes as you're filled with the word and meditating on it, praying without ceasing, full of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 5, Jesus makes it clear to these fishers of men And it's not about what you do, it's who you are. And in Matthew 5, verse 13 to 16, you are the what? Salt of the earth. But the salt loses flavor, how shall it be seasoned? If it is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the what? Light of the world. How big? Like a city set on the hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp. But put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and gives light to the whole house. Let your light shine before men, that you may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. What is he saying there? Be a Christian all the time. Yes, it's going to be a salt sometimes. Yes, it's going to be a light sometimes. It's not always going to be a welcome light. You know, I've been in work situations in college and before, and, and some guy is telling some raunchy thing to his friend, going, yeah, you won't want to hear this. You're a Christian, you know. It's like, I'm glad. But I've had people say to their friend, i got to tell you something. I got born again this last week. And their friend says, oh, that's wonderful. I'm born again too. And the person's face just goes completely sad and serious. I've been working next to you 30 years. I had no idea that you knew how I could be forgiven. I've been in torment for decades over my sin. I've been in darkness. Why haven't you shared with me? Well, I didn't want to make the work situation an uncomfortable situation. Well, when light comes into darkness, it's always uncomfortable. When salt lands upon wounds they hurt. But it also brings healing. And so after we're filled with the Spirit, this is something I believe happens every day, we walk in the Spirit, and we need to walk in wisdom. And as we are being led by the Lord, these predestined work that he's planned for us to walk in, Jesus, through us, witnesses, through us it's it's just a natural part of our life we're not taking the lamp and putting it under the bed that sounds like a fire hazard to me (laughs) when it starts shining in the house it's like oh no everybody doesn't like this let me hide it under the bed so i'm not irritating people or take the salt and and just dump it out on the ground and all the Animals are tromping on it. And somebody says, I need a little salt on my chicken here tonight. Let me go get some. Oh, yeah, there's a little rubble in that. A few rocks, but just here's some salt. No, he's saying, don't do the unnatural thing. You are naturally a light. Just be who you are in Christ. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 3, Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness will be like the stars who shine forever and ever. Wow, that's a prophetic book about us who are believers in the last days. So he says to learn how to be wise with those who are outside. The outside is unbelievers, non-Christians, the unsaved. Interesting in 1 Corinthians 5, it's talking about those who are outside the church. They're, they may even be believers, but they're outside the church. And he's just saying, have that sensitivity. That I'm shining as a light right now, and, and they're seeing that. I'm, I'm the salt of the earth, and they're observing that. And so, I am thinking differently. I am feeling differently. I, I, can you guys remember back before you were a Christian? Sometimes that's just a good thing to Remember? I can remember, I was 15 years old. I was angry. My parents, the home life was horrible. My parents were in the process of divorce. I was in darkness. I was angry. I mean, murderous, just angry with the world. And I was raised in the church in younger years, and my parents quit going and walked away. I was in a U-Haul truck between Arkansas and Texas to California, and ran out in Texas or Arizona. Just the Lord spoke to me and just said, "Okay, you've seen both worlds. You you lived as a Christian for a time as a child, and now for the last three years, from 12 to 15, you you've lived without God, without the Bible, without the church, with. And which world do you want to live in?" And I'm like, "Jesus, forgive me, cleanse me. I only." I, I honestly will self destruct. I will kill somebody or kill myself or end up in prison. I, I'm so full of rage. Can you help me? And I gave my life to Christ. We got to California, and my brother in law, who was a pastor, and my sister, he, he said, Well, where are you at with the Lord? Because my mom told him that. <laughs> I've been living like the devil for the last few years. And I said, Man, I received Christ. And I told him the story. A few months later, the Lord said, I've called you to the ministry. But I can remember that. And man, I I would have welcomed anybody to say, do you know how to believe in Christ for your sins to be forgiven? I would have said I was raised in the church. I think I know, but tell me, please. Can I pray with you that you're cleansed right now? Yes, I I would have been broken under the weight of that. Think about that. You were in that for sometimes of you guys years but remember no matter how small the seed it will grow into a large plant it's always amazing to me when you look at this little dark looking tiny thing and you know eh, eh, what what is that you know and then you have you ever done that in a a see-through cup you put dirt in there and you put that little seed in there The little tiny seed for the sunflower, that sunflower gets huge. It's like in that little seed is all that information to grow this thing. How how can anybody put that much information in that little tiny thing? That's the word of God. It has information that goes into the heart, never leaves the heart for the entire lifetime. Pretty cool, huh? So don't you want to get 10, 20 seeds out there every day? Maybe it's just you see somebody struggling and you say, can I just give you a hug right now? Why? I just, I just really sense God wants me to give you a hug. Amazing. That's, could God do that? Something that simple? Could God just tell you to smile at a person and tell them the Lord loves them? Absolutely. Again, just be who you are. Just be the salt that you are. Be the light that you are. Don't do something unnatural with the salt. Don't do something unnatural with the light because you don't want to be offensive to the world. Jesus, as loving and kind and wonderful as he was, was offensive. Paul was put in prison for just telling people that very thing. Well, he gives the very practical ways how we can walk in wisdom. I just want to go through this very quickly. Um, But one, we see in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Timothy 2 is is by just living a quiet life, minding our own business, working with our own hands and not lacking, referring in finances. In 1 Timothy 2, he says the same thing, lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. Why? Why? He says in verse 4 of 1 Timothy 2, because God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So first of all, it's it's in this lifestyle of really a meek and a quiet spirit of day after day after day, week after week. They're just watching the pattern of your life, what you do. And you say, well, I just look like everybody else walking my dog. No, you don't. Because God's Spirit's on you and God's Spirit's speaking to their spirit. Did you know God's Spirit's in the whole world right now convicting every man of sin and righteousness and judgment? He's tenderizing. You guys ever had to get meat, some seafood and tenderize it before you could cook it? The Holy Spirit's tenderizing right before they go to bed. They feel the guilt. They feel the shame. They feel, they feel the judgment is coming soon and, and they have to do something different. Yes, guys, God's soften them up <laughs> and then he's going to lead them right to you. Their dog walking next to your dog. And there's that opportunity. A pattern of good works. Titus says there that in all things, show yourself a pattern of good work. And why? So the doctrine is showing integrity, reverence incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned. So you're preaching Christ. The loudest way to preach Christ is by living a life that Jesus would live, honest in business, and and living a life of integrity. It's interesting that in this verse, and really all the verses that I'm covering, he says the same thing. You have opponents, and those opponents are wanting to bring you to shame by saying evil things about you. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 5, that there's not one man of God in history that people didn't make out and out horrible lies about you. And, but there's not going to be anything that sticks, even though they're saying, remember they said of Jesus, he was a drunkard and a glutton. I've heard people say, well, maybe you did eat too much. Maybe he did drink too much sometimes. Then they also said he had a demon. Did he also have a little demon in him? Not a real demon, not half a demon. Is all, you know? No, they, they just said the most ridiculous things. But yet thousands believed their lies, their slander about Jesus. And so the same thing's going to happen for us. Satan's out there and Satan's puppeting people. Satan's getting dark, hard-hearted people and manipulating them to be against you that's just part of the the way it works the third thing is just keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles and first Peter chapter 2 says, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles that when they speak against you as evildoers your good works overwhelm it and they have to they have to glorify God on the day of visitation. they have to say we threw every bit of mud at that guy and nothing stuck remember Daniel They finally got him thrown in the lion's den. But God shut the mouth of the lion. Then also submission to authority. And again, he says the reason is, at the very end of 1 Peter 2, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. The fifth thing is keeping a good conscience. Again, why? So when they defame you as an evildoer... (laughs) and revile you, your good conduct, again, brings them to shame. The sixth thing, especially for the leaders in the church, a good reputation, that we have a good testimony. In conclusion, I I pray that each of us will begin to consider our witness in this community, that we will be walking in the fear of God, in the word of God, that we might have an opportunity, as God gives us, to witness that gospel. Well, skipping down to verse five, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. Then he says this, redeeming the time. Literally, it's to buy out of slavery, opportune moments, to make the most of opportunity. Time is cruel, isn't it? Click, click, click. That second is just cruel. And you can't go backwards on the clock, only forwards. And time is always running out. A lot of times it feels like it's going too long, but it's not. It's going quickly, quickly by. And so every time we've seen or heard a non-Christian is an opportunity. Every time we're around them is an opportunity. Remember how Paul said it in Ephesians 5, verse 15 to 17? See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And I like verse 17. Therefore, do not be unwise but understand what the will of the Lord is. The days are evil, they are wicked, and we are shining as a light only for a certain amount of time. There may be somebody that you see that you'll never see him again. That's it. You pass by him the one time. The one time you guys intersected at the gas station. (laughs) The one time you intersected and put your towels next to each other at the beach. The one time you pass by each other in the grocery store. Jesus said of this in Matthew 5, 16. Again, let your light shine before men. Why? So when they see your good works, they glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus said of himself, and it's true of all of us, the night is coming when no one can work. So we want to work the works of God while it's day. And second, Timothy Chapter 4, it says that men's ears will be tickled with lies, but they don't have the ability to hear even a single truth. And he's talking about the last days, that those days indeed are coming. I love what David said in Psalm 90, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. So very simply, we're living as Christians, whether it's as simple as rejoicing in our trials are having honesty in business, are forgiving those who have wronged us. All these things shine in the midst of a dark world. So the end of all things is at hand, Peter said. So wake up and realize that the days before the rapture are few. Satan is hardening hearts. Lies are being told. I, I, Paul said in a very sobering way in First Corinthians 15, 34, where he said there, awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some of you have the knowledge of God. Do not have the knowledge of God. And I speak this to your shame. What was the sin? The sin of keeping your mouth shut when you should have opened it. It's not the sin of some lust or greed. Or He's not talking about that. He's talking about the sin of not doing something when you should have been doing something. You were asleep spiritually when you should have been awake. You saw that as a confrontation, the guy, you know, squeezing into your world, and I'm going to squeeze back and yell at him. He's yelling at me, I'll yell back. When in reality, God, if you were walking in the Spirit, praying every day, God, fill me with your Spirit, like the day of Pentecost, baptize me again in your Spirit. You would have saw that completely differently. You know that guy that was going around and pulled the pipe out, hitting everybody all over, San- all over Los Angeles County? Did you guys see that guy? I guess he had been doing it for years. Well, after about the third time, I was praying that God would make me one of those people he pulled the, the bar out. Because I, I was just, in my heart, I was just going to run at him and grab him and hug him and just start praying, God, take the anger, the frustration out of this guy. I really believe that it was just so light and darkness that that would have melted him. But yet... People were so angry. The world was angry, wanting justice. I just wanted this guy to be healed. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 5, He who gathers in the summer is a wise son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. In Proverbs eleven thirty, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. We're we'll finishing up here with verse 6. So let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. This is the most important point today. If you have not heard anything yet, wake up, listen to this. It's all about grace. It's grace. If you don't have grace and love and kindness of Jesus, you're a clanging cymbal and a blasting trumpet. I've seen guys like that witnessing down at the beach. Have you guys? They literally look like a guy, blah, trumpet right in the face. And they're like, yeah, you're not listening to me because you're a sinner. It's like, I'm trying to, oh, I can't even hear. No, we want to be full of love. The gospel is to be preached with grace and kindness. It's amazing How Jesus comes home to Nazareth and he was just a carpenter. He was Joseph and Mary's son, a nobody like them. But when he opened the mouth, they marveled at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. I like the one translation that says, and grace flowed out of his mouth. That's it. In Psalms 45, a prophecy about the Messiah Jesus. In verse 2, it says, You are fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. The gracious words pouring out of his mouth. In Acts, think of this. Here's just a bunch of verses on grace, guys. Think about this. We We don't have the message like the Hare Krishnas. Okay, you want to be Hare Krishna, read this book. Here, by the way, you owe me $150 for that book. And uh, you need to shave your head in a ponytail. You need to go buy some beads. You need to become a vegetarian. And you need to start saying Hare Hare Krishna, Krishna Rama Rama 90 times, five times a day. Or a Muslim, you know. Okay, your view of women needs to change. <laughs> your culture needs to change. You need to understand the Shia law. You need to start carrying a blanket around and putting it towards these five times a day. You need to be a Jehovah's Witness. You need to start every Saturday, get a briefcase and start, you know, get a suit and knocking on doors. Got to be a Mormon, get a bicycle and go on a mission. I mean, when you think about it, it's, it's all of these religions in the world don't come anywhere near the true message. We have, and, and matter of fact, in Acts 20, Verse 24, Paul calls the gospel the gospel of grace. Paul said in Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you've been saved through faith in that grace. In John 1.12, Jesus says, As many as just received him, to them he gives the right to become children of God. In John 1.14, he says, and we beheld his glory, glories of the only begotten of the Father. We're looking at God. What do you see? Grace and then truth. I'm glad it's not truth because I would have been so depressed I would have quit looking because I'm a sinner. But it was grace first. First, it was about I love you and I'm, I've already sent my son to die for you and, and his blood has cleansed you of all sin. And you can be forgiven just by believing in your heart right now. And then in verse 16, of his fullness we've all received. I think of a hen gathering all her chicks underneath. Of all his fullness we've all received. What was it? Grace for grace or grace upon grace. You understand that's not even possible. Because grace is all you need and much, much, much more. So you just need grace. But then he says the impossible. All that you need is much much more. And again, all you need is much much more. On top of that. He's, he's just trying to let you know that God's not coming with this hammer and, and you know, you didn't dot the eye. <laughs> you know. You didn't cross the T. <laughs> Pray more. Go to church more. Give more. Worship better. Can't believe what a sinner you are. We don't tolerate this in Christianity. That's the way a lot of the world sees what God is saying. Because a lot of churches have, and in reality, showed them that. But it's the opposite. Of his fullness, we receive grace, kindness, love, mercy, forgiveness. In 1 John 2, 2, Jesus himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours only, but for the whole world. Do you realize the beautiful message of kindness we have? I I remember in in college meeting a guy and starting to share the Lord. He just said, you have no idea who you're talking to. I'm pretty sure he was in the mafia. He definitely was dressed. It was back in the 70s. It was a very dark, dark presence. And I I just remember that moment. I've said it a thousand times since. There's no sin or amount of sins You've committed that Christ didn't already die for and has already paid for. You just now need to have faith to believe he has that much forgiveness, that much grace, that much kindness, that much love. No matter how deep we've dug ourselves, God's grace goes deeper, right? That's the gospel message in 1 Peter 5.10. But may the God of all grace... That's it right there. Who is our God? He's the God of all grace. And boy, he goes on to say there, that that when all is said and done, when we're done on this planet, he is gonna perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle us. And you know, Philippians 1, 6, he who began that good work is gonna complete it. He is the author and finisher of our faith. Hebrews 12 says, Jude says, now to him, get your eyes on Jesus Grace upon grace, the God of all grace, who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forevermore. Amen. Do you realize the message we have? It's a kind message. It's a message of love. It's a message that he's already done the work. It's the message that it's not of your works. It's not of yourself. It's just a gift that you need to believe. And the moment you believe, you receive it. And then once you come to him, he'll never let you go. Even if you're faithless, he remains faithful. Even if you sin, his grace abounds more than your sin. But I sin 10 times and he forgives you. His grace is bigger than 10. 100, bigger than 100. 1,000, bigger than 1,000. There is no number that God's grace doesn't cover. You realize the message we have? I, I am not telling you, okay, guys, last week, you Saturday morning, I've noticed some of your briefcases are starting to look a little dingy. You need to polish them. And, you know, don't have a wrinkly shirt. You need to get that tie tight. And some of you guys only knocked on 100 doors last Saturday. I don't care if they slam the door in your face. You get back out there and do 200 next Saturday. I'm glad that's not what I'm telling you guys. I'm not telling you like the Mormons to wear holy underwear and can't drink coffee and gotta be a vegetarian. And you be. What is the message we have? God loves you. Oh, this is so depressing. God loves me. Do you realize how oppressive that is? Yeah, I do, and you do too. There is no oppression in that. He sent his only son to pay for all of your sins 2,000 years ago so you can be forgiven. Are you a sinner? Yes. Do you need to be forgiven? Yes. He's already done it. Just receive it. Man, of all religions in the world, we have it the easiest. We have it the best. Of course, all other religions are false. That's besides the point. But the gospel is all about grace from start to finish. God has given us many loving words to share with the world of unbelievers. So live your life and your speech with seasoned with salt. Salt brings flavor to food, right? We bring flavor to the world. Often they want you there because you, you bring flavor in a unique way. We cause thirst, We cause people who never would thirst for God after being with you for a few minutes, they're thirsty for God. I think I'm going to go get a Bible. I think I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to look that verse up they shared. Salt Hills. I remember the first time as a high schooler going into the ocean when I just got through working on a bunch of rose bushes in Central California. And I was like, ouch, 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 ouch. You know, and I realized everywhere I was ouching, I had a scratch. But by the end of that day, man, I mean, things were healed. They hurt. Yes, sometimes we do bring hurt. Sometimes we flip on the light and we see their sin. They see their sin. And the reality it is. But then the salt heals that wound. It preserves the flesh. Once we're out of here, it tells us in Second Thessalonians, the moment we leave, that the wall that's holding back the flood of wickedness in this world is going to be gone. And the dam is going to break. And this is not going to be a planet anybody even non-believers, are going to want to live on. And then finally, that you may know how you ought to speak, how you should speak. Peter says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready for the defense. That's the Greek word apologia, to give a, a logical reason to everyone who asks for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Guys, just share what you have. I remember in college, literally a guy whose dad was a rocket scientist. <laughs> and this guy was going to be a rocket scientist. And he had been raised an atheist. And it was a Friday night. I was in the weight room working out. Yeah, I had no life, nor did he, I guess. And, uh, but he started asking me questions, and, and he found out he was a Christian. He started asking me questions. God, God make a rock too big for himself to pick up? And, you know, these kind of things. And I, I had never heard these things before. And I just said, I I don't know, but I know God loves you. I know Christ died on the cross for your sins. I know that. But can he pick up a rock? Can he make a rock too big for himself to pick up? Yeah, and then after that, he can pick it up. That's not logical, you know. This went on like this. I mean, if anybody had watched our discussion, I got pummeled. I mean, the the atheist, 100, Christian, zero. And we... We're getting ready to leave, and I said, "Hey, I'm gonna got my car. I'll take you down to the dorm." And he gets in the car, and he just looks at me, and he goes, "How do I receive Christ?" Atheist entire life taught to be an atheist. He was a scientist. His dad was a rocket scientist, literally. And I, I shared the Lord. He prayed. He started hungering for the Word. Yeah, share with whatever you have. It's enough. I love Jesus. His example is the best. Isaiah 50 tells us what Jesus would do when he was in human flesh. He said that the Lord God, referring to his father, has given him the tongue of the learned. Interesting, the Greek Septuagint is disciple. That I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned or as a disciple. You just wake up in the morning and say, Lord, this is the day you have made. I rejoice and I'm glad in it. Now, Lord, please, not the predestined works I should walk in, but Lord, make it so that these are predestined works I do walk in. Fill me up with your word. Let this day be a fruitful day. When I lay my head on the pillow at night, Let me have said all, done all, hugged all, smiled all, loved all that you have predestined for me to do. Let me be a light. If you're that person, and may we hunger with the intensity Jesus did. In John 4, verse 34 to 38, the woman at the well left and the disciples came back. Jesus had witnessed to her and they said, Jesus, here's some food. And Jesus said, I already ate. They're going, ate? You didn't eat. And he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you say there's four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, and I think he's looking at the city as it's emptying out. The whole city of Samaria is coming towards Jesus to hear what he had to say because of the woman at the well. You say there's four months and comes harvest, but behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are already white for harvest you grew up in a farming community, white means it's getting ready to go bad. <laughs> you, you get it now or it goes bad. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For this is saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. So whether we're sowing Maybe that's your whole life. You just plant seeds. I think God will give you the opportunity to harvest one of those plants that others have planted seeds and watered. I was listening this week of a missionary who was in China a number of years Preached this passage. Blew my mind. He said, I, I went to parts of China that had no religion. There wasn't any Christian's Millions and millions of Chinese. There was no church, they had never heard of Christianity, never read one Bible verse, never heard the name of Jesus. And here I'm in this city, and I'm there living in this apartment. And then he, he realized, this is the way it started. There was no churches. There, there, was, there was no Bible studies, there was no prayer meetings. And then he asked the question, what if tomorrow, it may very well happen, there is no church? What are you going to do? You see, a lot of people say, if I go sit on my butt in church, I've done what God asked me to do. Not actually to live Christianity. No, this is just a gas station. We're filling up the tank. Christianity is not here at church or at home in your closet. Christianity is when you walk outside. And he goes I just prayed God please have somebody ask me because it was legal in some providences if they asked you you could tell them and sure enough every day this guy would ask him come here what are you doing here white boy <laughs> you know and he would share the Lord with this guy and he'd get radically saved and then the next person they would get radically saved and and then he'd get arrested <laughs> He said, the first time he got arrested, he thought, this is it. (laughs) They're going to kick me out of the country. They interrogated him for 48 hours straight with no sleep. And they had gone to his landlord and said, if you don't kick him out, you're in trouble. So he comes home and all this stuff's packed. Get out. And he goes to another providence. He couldn't believe he wasn't kicked out of China. He moved to another, two hours away to another providence. Same thing, sharing the Lord. Several people, again, he gets arrested. They keep him in isolation, and and then they, again, kicked out. He goes to another providence. He's like, I can't believe I'm not kicked out. I I mean, you know, this is great. He's this young guy. He's sharing. He's probably 30 years old. But he goes, I got kicked out and kicked out and kicked out. And I thought I was going to get kicked out of the country, but just providence after Providence. And then I was able to go back and visit. And these guys have shared their whole families through the Lord. And they have this time, they're just getting together, they're reading the Bible together. They have no idea what's going on, but they're out sharing with their friends. And, and, and I went back to realize it's an explosion. It's literally people who are starving to death. They finally get a morsel of food, and they're like, this is the best thing ever. And then finally, they did kick him out. <laughs> but he had four years as a missionary before they kicked him out, and he went like that to dozens of provinces, And it just made me think, okay, if we didn't have church to say, I went to church, so I did my Christianity, if we had no church next week, what would your Christianity be? Is it only going to be at home when you read the Bible and pray, and then you don't let anybody in the community know that you're a Christian because it'll work badly for you? Are, are, is, is being a Christian really where Jesus said, follow me for the purpose that I will make you fishers of men. You see, that's the key, isn't it? Well, Lord, we ask that you would make us fishers of men. We can't do it on our own. We all sense the same thing, that, that we're, we're paralyzed. We're paralyzed by our neighbors. We're paralyzed at restaurants. We're paralyzed at gas stations. We're paralyzed... In the grocery stores. We're paralyzed in the various clubs we're a part of. We're afraid that people will look at us and think we're a Karen, a Christian Karen, annoying them. People will look at us and, and, and think there's that there's that hypocritical, evil, slander. they slander us speaking evil about us. Not one word of it's true, but yet it's just to try to damage our reputation so our gospel is also damaged. But You said that's going to happen. We can't get around that. So Lord, I pray that even if we're arrested and interrogated, even if we're forced to move to another area, even if we're beaten and thrown into prison for years, that even in the prison, we'll pray and say, Lord, even as a prisoner, let me share the gospel as I ought to speak. That we would truly be people planting seeds and maybe watering other people's seeds of planted, or maybe even harvesting. Lord, here we are. Take us and use us. Make us truly your followers. Not in in our brains, but as we walk the walk. Let us be a light, let us be a salt, and then when we speak, not if we speak, but when we do speak, when we do open our mouths, that we would season it with salt and you would give us the words of wisdom, words of knowledge, prophecy, scriptures in our heart that we would speak as we ought to speak in that divine moment, in that divine moment of opportunity. And we thank you for this, Lord. Let our church be different from this point forward, Lord. Don't let this just be a sermon we hear and forget. Let us just be the light you've made us to be. Let us just be the salt we are already. And Lord, fill this place up with new believers, wanting you, desiring you, loving you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.